We are working our way through the Apostles' Creed. We have come in the providence of God today to the confession about the Holy Spirit. Let's read the Creed together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We have worked our way through half of the creed now with a number of messages about Jesus. As we shared last week, our confession about Jesus is the heart of the creed. And so today we come to, I believe, in the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, the wind blows where it wants to and you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. That's the way it is with those who are born of the Spirit. And so today we talk about the Spirit, and when we do so, we know that we cannot contain Him. He does not fit in our box or in anything that we make. He is larger than our understandings, our conceptions, our imaginations. He goes beyond all that. So when we confess that we believe in the Holy Spirit, we believe in the one who is over all and above all, and we cannot control him. We come to this place knowing that he is the third person of the Trinity. And we believe in the Trinity. We have confessed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We have confessed, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. And now we confess, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the triune God. All of the attributes of God the Father and God the Son are also ascribed to God the Holy Spirit in the Scripture, including those things which are uniquely divine, which belong only to God. His majesty, His holiness, His greatness, His power, His knowledge, His presence everywhere in all places. These qualities of God, that He is all-powerful, all-knowing, and everywhere, these are also ascribed to the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, we conclude, is a third person of the Trinity, the triune God manifested unto us in three ways as Father, Son, and Spirit. These three are evident in the moment of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was, was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. That's verse 2 of your Bible. And God said, let there be light. 
We learned earlier and saw earlier that the Word of God was His creative power. And so in the first verses of the Bible, we have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. At the baptism of Jesus, we have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The Son comes out of the water dripping wet. The Spirit descends like a dove and rests upon Him. And the Father says, this is my Son whom I love. In Him I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit is the administrator of the Trinity. Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. What did he mean? He said he was going away and you will see me no more. He meant that in the coming of the Holy Spirit, he himself would be with us. So the Holy Spirit is the personal presence of Christ and the Father in our lives and in our world. Jesus was dependent on the Spirit in all aspects of his ministry, not only conceived by the Holy Spirit, but in his baptism, anointed by the Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit into the wilderness, then anointed by the Spirit to preach the good news and to heal those who were sick, enabled by the Spirit to make the offering for our sins and brought by the Spirit out of the grave on the third day. These things the Bible declares the Spirit has done. The reliance of Jesus upon the Holy Spirit in every aspect of his life is a metaphor for you, a teaching for you. If you're going to walk as he walked, then you will be connected to, filled by, surrendered to the Holy Spirit in all aspects of your life. I hope that you will embrace and enjoy the personal presence of the Father and the Son in your life through the filling, the presence, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. It's I believe in the Holy Spirit. And I want you to know I do. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes I sit here on the front pew and sometimes my mind is distract, distracted. All kinds of things are upon my heart. And I say, Holy Spirit, I need you to fill me for the task at hand. Anytime you're about to do something on behalf of the gospel and, and the Father in heaven, you should pray that the Holy Spirit will enable you and fill you. You have confessed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. You have confessed, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. And now you have confessed, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Do you? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? It is a personal confession. You need him today. To say that you believe, we rehearse again. To believe is not simply to make mental assent that there is a spirit that exists. It is not acknowledging a simple proposition to say, I believe in the Holy Spirit is to use the word believe like the Bible uses it. That is, it is faithing. It is trusting. I trust in the Holy Spirit. I entrust myself to the Holy Spirit. Without this kind of faith, it is impossible to please God. Anybody who comes to God must believe that he is and he rewards those who diligently seek him. So you've got to have this trusting in your heart. The confession is not simply a proposition. It is an orientation of your life. 
It is the way that you live and what you believe deeply to your soul. It changes your behavior. You're saying, as you say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, I depend upon, I trust in, I entrust myself to the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the one you cannot see. The word in both Hebrew and Greek, translated spirit here and other places, also means wind or breath. He is the unseen one. God is spirit, Jesus said. John says, no one has seen God at any time. God's one and only in the bosom of the Father. He has made him known. We don't see God. He is spirit. I believe this room is filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I believe he abides in my life. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, Jesus said, and I am in you. I believe in the Spirit, that there is a non-material part of this world, that God himself is Spirit, and I too am Spirit. I am body. I am mind, and I am spirit. That there is more to me than the sum of my parts. That even the most powerful microscope or telescope ever invented in humans cannot detect the presence of this spirit. A Tulane graduate student told me about seeing DNA as a shadow in the wall of a cell. Did I tell you this? 39,000 times magnified, just barely see the shadow. This student told me that if you could take the DNA and unfold it in that single cell, it would stretch out 10 feet. It would be 10 feet long, but it is folded up and packed into every one of the 6 billion cells in your body. What a marvelous, incredible design. But the Spirit is unseen, you see. He's one of those mysteries. And we stand in awe before the God who made us, who designed us in this way, who made us more than the sum of our parts. When the ancients talked about the Spirit, they used a word that almost breathes, ruach. And you could hear them exhale as they say the word ruach. They knew that there was something about breathing that was essential to life, that inhaling and exhaling were, were part of living and that you could not exist without it. And so they said there, there's a spirit in man. There's a ruach in man. It's like his breath. And though we have unpacked perhaps the mystery of exhaling and inhaling oxygen and carbon dioxide, we still know that man is more than the sum of his parts, that he is spirit. I believe in the spirit. That is, I believe that God, the great God, is unseen. Like Abraham and Moses, I believe that the great God who made this universe cannot be represented or reduced to wood or gold or stone or any other material thing, including sun or moon. But he transcends all of that. He is beyond all of that. He is outside, in fact, of all that he created. He is other than 
I am. And there is no place in this universe where I can go where his spirit is not there. The psalmist says it in Psalm 139. Indeed, it is beautiful. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are marvelous. I know that full well. Here is a poem of the eternal God who exists from eternity to eternity, who knows us in our inmost being and is the agency of our creation, who is everywhere and can do all things. In him we live and move and have our being. I believe in the Spirit. I hope you embrace this truth about God because you personally need him in your life, not just out there, but in here. I will be in you, Jesus said. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is one of the marvelous truths. It's one of the gifts that Christ bought us in his death upon the cross as he sent the promised Holy Spirit to abide with us forever, to be our comforter, not only our advocate before the Father, but to take up his residence in us. If you have not the Spirit of God, you're not his, the Scripture says. Everyone who belongs to him has the Spirit of God inside of them. I believe in the Spirit. But I believe there is a word that describes the Spirit. This word summarizes more than any other who the Spirit is to us. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Three times the Apostles' Creed uses the word holy, twice to describe the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, conceived by the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And in the next phrase, what I'm going to deal with next week in the Holy Catholic Church. Some of you have been waiting for me to expound upon that, and I'm going to talk about that next week. It talks about the church being holy. Holy is basically separated. It is separated. In the Old Covenant, if you had something that was holy, you separated under the purposes of God. You washed it in a special way. You set it apart. It was not used for any other purpose than for the purposes of God. That's what it meant to be holy. And the holiness of those utensils and those instruments and furniture that were in the tabernacle and in the temple pointed to the holiness of God who is other than us. He is separate from us. He's not a created being. He is different than we are. He is holy. 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. His holiness is a call to us. We too are rendered holy through being chosen and called and brought into his family. You are a holy nation. And that holiness works itself out in practical ways in your life. You feel the Holy Spirit drawing you away from some things and drawing you to other things. You say you believe in the Holy Spirit, and maybe there's a prompting in your heart even today about something God wants you to do. What I want you to do is not theoretically believe in the Holy Spirit or believe in it as a general concept, but instead believe in the Holy Spirit for what he's speaking to you now in this moment of worship. Believe that the Holy Spirit is not only present, but able to communicate with your heart, your spirit, that he is able to speak to you, that he is able to convict you of sin. That would be the work of the Holy Spirit. I told you that we have been called to a new consecration, a new dedication of ourselves to the purposes of God. And we have been praying that God would clean us and, and make us holy as he is holy. We've been praying that God would throw a blanket of holiness over this congregation, that the experiences of these past days will draw us to the Father in a brand new way and that we will have a great burden on our heart to be the holy, separated people he called us to be. Because as Cain experienced, even in the moment of worship, sin was crouching at the door and it desired to destroy him. Do you know that feeling? Is there anything in your life that identifies with that sin crouching at the door? Have you ever sensed the danger of it? Have you ever experienced its draw, its power, its destructive force? Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know Jesus prayed for the leader of the group, Peter? He said, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. And I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith will not fail. I'm praying that your faith will not fail. Young people, I'm praying that your faith will not fail. I don't want your faith to fail. Parents, teachers, Satan's desire to sift you like wheat, but I'm praying your faith will not fail. And if you will stand strong, you will remain true. You will be faithful like God has been faithful to you. We have sung about the faithfulness of God. I rejoice today in the faithfulness of God. I'm so glad I have a God who is faithful every day, every time, all the way, in all my need. He never fails. He never fails me. He's never failed me yet. I'm so glad I have a Christ who is beautiful in every way and winsome. And if I can just get people to look at the Savior instead of at me, they will be in awe of the God who sent his son. We have a faithful God. 
we have a faithful Savior who is calling us to faithfulness as well. Sometimes it feels like chaos, doesn't it? Sometimes it feels like the darkness is encroaching and rolling in like a fog and is going to bury you. Sometimes you are confused in your mind and you cannot sort out the thoughts that you have nor understand what has happened nor why. It is in those moments, in the darkness, in the chaos, in the trouble, in the turbulence, that the Spirit of God hovers over the water in your life. And in the darkness and the chaos, he speaks, let there be light. Let there be light. It is the role of the Holy Spirit to bring truth to the mind and heart when the darkness and chaos seem to overwhelm. He brings peace in the midst of the storm. He brings light in the midst of the darkness. And he steadies the soul when the waves seem too big. If you allow the Holy Spirit to minister to your heart and you will keep your eye on a faithful servant, Jesus the Savior who went to the cross for you, you can step out of this boat and walk on those waves. That's what the Spirit does in your life. He alone can stabilize your heart. And so now, you must trust him like you never have before and come real with God and honest and transparent. And it is the responsibility of this body and every member of it to set aside any known sin, confess it to God and forsake it so that we may be the purified holy people he called us to be in this world. In this world, you are like Jesus. The Apostle John said, you can only represent him as you visit again the cross where he died and look honestly at the life that you live and say, Lord, for the sin that crouches at the door, Rescue me, save me, forgive me, and help me be fully consecrated unto you. For I believe in the Holy Spirit. Bow with me, please. If you've never trusted Christ as Savior and Lord, would you pray this prayer? Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me for my sin. I believe you died on the cross for me, Jesus. I give my life to you. Would you make your commitment to Christ and come in just a moment to declare it? God, have your way in us. Help us believe right now in your Holy Spirit. Help us listen and obey. 
In Jesus' name.